Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, everyone. Before we start the episode, we have a couple of super important announcements. First off, the Kickstarter for our very first ever playmat. That's right. You can purchase this right now on Kickstarter we commissioned an artist named Jesse Aronson to do what we're calling this playmat is Aftermath. Aftermath. It's like a war-torn landscape. It's kind of the aftermath of a battle at the commander table. Yeah, totally. There's lots of little Easter eggs on it, and we teamed up with Ultra Pro to print these for the Kickstarter. Now, if you want to go check out the Kickstarter, it's only going for one month, so make sure you go to the show notes, and we'll be, of course, tweeting it out like crazy and posting it wherever we can. Now, yeah, we should say that. When we say it's only available for one month, we're never going to sell this playmat again. So yeah. this is your chance to get it. Don't miss out. Um, yeah, we should we should say a little message to patrons here. Right. Patrons, if you have crossed the $80 threshold and will be receiving this playmat for your awesome contributions, you're actually getting a slightly different version that doesn't have the Ultra Pro logo on it, and it's also going to be signed and numbered by us. Yeah, and it's also going to be shipped out uh, ahead of time earlier than these Ultra Pro mats will. But everybody else... Definitely go to Kickstarter within the next 30 days and order your version of this playmat because it, it's awesome. It's stunning. Yeah. And also, of course, there is an option for it to be signed on the Kickstarter, but it's going to be slightly different than the patron version because you guys get the uber special first print run, whatever we want to call it. Because patrons are awesome. Indeed. Patreon.com slash comment zone. One other thing we want to talk about before we get into the normal episode is GP Vegas. So we need a little bit of information from everybody out there. We are going to be at GP Vegas this year, which is June uh, 14th. 14th to the 18th. To the 18th. Basically a week-long affair. And we're trying to determine, because at GP Vegas 2015, we had a very successful event we called our Gathering. Uh, it was a night of playing Commander and drafting Conspiracy and just a night of casual magic. And we had an extremely big turnout, and it was a ton of fun. And we're looking to repeat that this year. Right, so what we have is a survey that's going to ask you what days you will be present at Grand Prix Vegas if you are going. So please, if you're going to Grand Prix Vegas, you're going to check out our poll. You can go to bit.ly, bit.ly slash command zone poll, all lowercase. Or again, it's going to be in the show notes. We're going to tweet it out. It's everywhere. So make sure you do that. Let us know when you will be at GP Vegas so that we can accommodate. Also, it's going to let us know, hey, what day should we play in the convention halls and play Commander with everyone? Hey, what day should we do this and that? So the more information we get, the better. Okay. Almost into the episode, but I do want to say really quickly, because we get asked this all the time, 
You can just go to the GP. Yes. You don't have to pay a single cent. You do not have to enter the main tournaments. It's more like a convention. You can just go. You walk in the convention hall. There's going to be tons of Magic players sitting around playing Magic. In fact, Jimmy and I never even play in the main tournaments. Yeah. We just hang out. We play side events. We play pickup games of Commander with people. You should definitely consider going to GP Vegas, uh, regardless of whether you're interested in the formats that are being played. There's just going to be a ton of Magic players all in one place. And also, if you're there, you get to go to our gathering, which is going to be sweet. Yeah. So again... Entry into the Grand Prix uh, Convention Hall and just sitting down and playing Magic with people, absolutely free. free. If you want to play side events or draft, then you have to pay, obviously, a little bit to get the booster packs or the main event. But anyone can just walk in and play, and that's the beauty of it. And GP Vegas promises to be really cool and very big this year, so we hope to see you all there. All right, on to your regularly scheduled programming. Let's go. Greetings, humans. You have entered the Command Zone. Your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. Name that song. What's the magic number? What's the magic MPH? Eighty-eight miles per hour. One point twenty-one. <laughs> hey, it's Back to the Future, obviously. If y'all didn't get it, how's it going? You're listening to an episode of The Command Zone. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. What a great movie. Great. Third great one. Movie. <sighs> Even second one's eh, but yeah. the first one is The incredible. second one had the charm of like, oh, cool, look at the, you know, the hoverboard and all the, you know, that stuff. Yeah. Listen. Well, the first one's just a classic, though. I mean, it's yeah. one of the great movies of all time. So It's funny because I don't think of those movies, even though it's literally about time travel. It doesn't, in my mind, it's not a time travel movie. It's about, you know, going back. It's about the story, his story more than anything else. It's yeah. not about... It's because it's so tight, and it doesn't get caught in the minutia of the time travel too much. It's yeah. just... You it doesn't know. have to explain it away. Yeah. Anyway. anyway great movie. Great movie. <laughs> On this episode of The Command Zone, we hope... I was hope... looking for a segue, but I didn't find one. Uh, no. <laughs> Segways are hard to find these days. <laughs> Uh, on this episode of The Commands, and we hope you have seen the latest episode of Game Nights. We released another one this month. We're crazy. Josh is crazy. He's put a lot of work into it uh, because we got Amon Ket cards early. Now, our last episode, we talked about Neheb the Worthy. This episode, we're talking about the commander that Josh played in Game Nights Episode 6. Hapatra, Vizier of Poisons. Yeah, Wizards was great. They got us four of the commander, uh, the legendary cards early. We can finally talk about all of them. But yeah. before we do. Oh, yeah, before that. You should get one of these legendary cards by or going, four. or all four, by going to cardkingdom.com slash command zone or cardkingdom.com slash game nights. Actually, which one should they use? People have been asking me. Uh, for now, let's use game nights, but you yep. could use command zone if you want. Either one's good. Um, hopefully, we can get those affiliate links combined into one here soon because I know it's a pain in the butt to do both. But you are supporting game nights and the command zone podcast when you use the affiliate link. You're helping to make sure that those shows and this show stick around and continue to happen so we do appreciate it something else we appreciate is all of our patrons in fact we have quite a few new patrons welcome new patrons we're hello uh, very thankful for you we appreciate you joining our cool exclusive little club yeah again email every time uh one of you joins and uh we also shout out the patron at every episode and this episode that patron is Ruben Torres. Thank you so much for being a supporter of the show. Also, if you join our Patreon, you get to unlock the full Lifelinker app. That is our life app that you can use for Magic the Gathering. It's a lot of fun. 
It's very simple. It's a very simple application. If you can find it right now on Android and Apple app stores, all you do is look up the word Lifelinker. That's one word, Lifelinker. And a lot of creators have now on their patrons or on their Twitters or on their streams released a code that you can unlock their background. So they're custom backgrounds for each a creator, we have a bunch of really good ones on there. Who's that right there? That's Prof. Prof. With us, nice. Our good palp, the professor. Yeah, so make sure you guys go to their respective Twitters and all that to find out how to get their codes and download Lifelinker if you need a life app for Magic the Gathering. All right. All right, let's move on to the main topic. Once again, Wizards gave us four legendary creatures early, so we should shoot Game Nights Episode 6 because the production time takes so long that if we wait till the cards actually come out, then... You know, by the time the episode comes out, this set's been out for a while. So uh, we talked about Neheb last episode, which was Jimmy's. Mm-hmm. Mel Lee, who was on the story team at Wizards of the Coast formerly, uh, she came on and she built Temet, Vizier of Noctamoon. And then Cassius Marsh, who uh, is a defensive end for Jimmy's favorite football team, the Seahawks. Seahawks. Go, Go Hawks. Hawks. And uh, he came on and he built Samut. Voice of Descent, which was the card we weren't allowed to talk about last episode, but it's been spoiled now, so we can mention that Semut is sweet. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was the card we all wanted to build around. We let Cassius choose first, and of course he chose that one. Yeah, the most powerful one. Uh, yeah, I actually uh, chose last, so I kind of got what was left, and uh, I got Hapatra, Vizier of Poisons, which I will read right now. Hapatra, Vizier of Poisons. A green and a black. For a 2-2 legendary creature, Human Cleric... Whenever Hapatra deals combat damage to a player, you may put a negative one, negative one counter on target creature. Whenever you put one or more negative one, negative one counters on a creature, create a one, one green snake creature token with death touch. Yes. So a couple of things to note here. One is you can put the negative one, negative one counter on any creature. So it can be your own. Uh, it could even be Hapatra. Sometimes you might need to do that. It's only when she deals combat damage to a player, though, that that triggers. And then anytime you put one or more negative one counters on a creature, you create the snake with death touch. This deck was very powerful. Yeah, and, and it surprised me. Um, we Jimmy and I were texting basically the night before we shot the episode and you i were was texting me so many you texted me probably five or six times saying the same thing and i was like i don't know man it could be good <laughs> i was lamenting the fact that i thought the deck was kind of weak i was like oh man i hope everybody doesn't bring really strong decks because i don't feel like my deck is very good um <laughs> the other deck that you didn't think was very good in the past also happened to be black green right <laughs> yes but it wasn't good the Maserek deck isn't good uh this deck turns out it is i think what was really hard to tell was that you're basically using, you've got synergy with your removal spells. And when you're goldfishing or playing a deck by yourself, it's hard to see how the removal spell part of it is having an effect because you're just playing your own cards. And so it seemed to me that like, I was like, man, it doesn't create that many tokens that quickly. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't, I was discounting the fact that while it's creating the tokens, it's killing other people's stuff by putting counters on them and other things. So uh, the deck turned out to be a lot better than I thought. And it was very good because if you guys watched the episode, it was you were essentially unassailable on the ground. It was very hard to get through at any time because you never want to trade a real creature for a 1-1 token. And with the other ways to put a f- tokens onto the battlefield as well as a lot of the doublers, things got out of hand really quickly. And even you survived like through, I think, two or three board wipes and still was always able to rebuild. So pretty That cool was stuff. really surprising to me was the, the way that it was able to sort of withstand the board wipes because a lot of token decks are just like one board wipe and you mm-hmm. just basically can't win. Um yeah, so the question we have written down here is, how did you choose to build her? And 
what I wrote was make sure you can always create snakes. So this means negative uh, one, negative one counter synergies, as well as stuff to guarantee that Hapatra gets through, which is basically mm -hmm. this a similar way to just make sure you get a negative one counter, right? Is right. If, if you make her unblockable or something. And then a bunch of stuff that takes advantage of tokens. So there's some normal token things, because once you get to seven, eight, nine snakes, you're, you're just a token deck that's going to try and win in the way token decks win. Mm-hmm. And then there was some fun stuff, which I, I, I just said was synergizing with the, the negative counters. It's hard to say negative one, negative one. I'm just going to call them negative counters. Negative counters. Negative counters means negative one, negative one counters. Minus one, minus one is another way to say it. Minus counters, negative counters, whatever. You'll understand. We're always talking about negative one, negative one counters. Okay. From here on out. <laughs> uh, before we start, so we're going to do the deck breakdown and the stats and everything, but before we start, I just wanted to note... Um, I felt it was extremely important to build your mana base in this deck so that you could always cast Hapatra on turn two because you need to swing on turn three with Hapatra because that's the most likely turn where you're going to find at least one player with no blockers and mm -hmm. you're going to get a free attack and get the engine rolling where you put a negative one counter on something else, even if it's Hapatra, to make a snake and just start that engine going. And if you get her out late, you can get in a situation where she's just a 2-2, she doesn't have death touch. So you can be in a situation where you can't attack with her, and then all of a sudden... She becomes more of an enchantment at that point. Yeah, and it's just not that great because you just haven't been able to get the ball rolling and your engine's not going. So, yeah. That's her being a two-drop is actually really cool, the fact that she can come out that early, but it also means that there's no way to ramp her out early. Right. She is coming out in turn two at the latest. That's it. Yeah. At the earliest, sorry. Yeah, unless you cheat and play Moxon or something. There's probably some weird ways to do it, but like... 99.9% .9 of the time you're playing her on turn two, yeah. which is fine. Almost always, if you have a two drop that you play on curve, on turn three, there's going to be at least one player in a multiplayer game that just doesn't have anything. Yep. Uh, all right, let's talk about the <laughs> stats. All right, so there's 13 mana ramp cards, 11 card draw cards, four board wipes, and 12 single target removal spells. Hold up. 12? This is where, and I think this kind of gives the hint of why I what I didn't see when I was goldfishing it, but what tells you why the deck is so good. Because it's not like you purposely put in 12 single target removal spells. That's way above what we would say in the, the deck template thing. Mm -hmm. It's the fact that all your stuff that synergizes with Hapatra is a removal spell. You know, they, we're going to talk about some stuff that add negative counters. Well, those are removal spells. I mean, I counted those in that category because that's really what they are. Yep. Now, they're not like the same as Path to Exile removal spells. Like they, Sometimes it doesn't always just kill the thing, but a lot of times it's like, give it two or three negative counters. Oh, most, you gimp it. Most of the it's time, that, that pretty much gets rid of the creature, even if it doesn't kill it. Not always, but most of the time. So it does count. Um, and I found while playing the deck, I was just very rarely scared of any specific creature. I could take care, at least to the point of where it, doesn't have, it only has a marginal effect. Now, a lot yeah. of creatures, you start to get a little bit more in trouble, and you do have some board wipes, but... If you watch the episode, you'll see that uh, Cassius tries to get in with Samud a couple of times, and you're able to just turn it from a 3-4 into, like, a 1-2. Yeah, and all just... of a sudden, it's just hitting you for 2 damage. It's like, cool, great. You know, I didn't kill it. I didn't, I didn't have enough cards to take it all the way to 0, but actually neutering it like this is great. <laughs> Almost it... better in some respects because they can't just replay it. Yeah. You know, now Samud is a little bit of a special case because... She does give haste to everything. So yeah, pretty you powerful. Do, you do not want it on the board necessarily. But anyway, um, all right, so let's talk about my two favorite areas. We're going to talk about the ramp package. This is where I want to tie it into the deck building template. So we have uh, a lot of overlap here. 
Um, the first two cards are very similar. They're called Awakening Zone and From Beyond. So Awakening Zone is two and a green. From Beyond is three and a green. And they both do basically the same thing. Awakening Zone makes zero one. It's an enchantment. They're both enchantments. And during your upkeep, Awakening Zone makes a zero one Eldrazi spawn token. And From Beyond makes a one one Eldrazi scion token. So they both can be sacked to give you a colorless yeah yeah but, colorless but the mana. creatures themselves the creatures yeah so they're creating uh little creatures that you can sack for colorless mana so this is ramp because it's creating basically a thing that you can sack for for mana but it's also making tokens and like i said the deck is a token deck and it has a lot of the token synergies like parallel lives doubling season and such mm -hmm. and so this is a way for your ramp to synergize with your your game winning plan of just going wide with creatures yeah, and one card that benefits greatly from that, it's one of my new favorite cards, it's Cryptolith Right, one in the green for an enchantment. It just says, creatures you control have tap, add one mana of any color to your mana pool. So this gives all of your Eldrazi spawn the ability to now, once they don't have summoning sickness, to tap for mana, and then if you wanted to, you could also sack them for mana. So they could essentially generate you a colorless and any color of mana. Yeah, it's um, crazy when you get the the Scions and stuff, and your Snakes tap for mana, mm -hmm. which is a big thing. Cryptolith Right is... If you're playing a token deck, it's got to go in there. It's one of those cards that takes you from five mana to, like, 15 yeah, in a turn. Yeah, just boom. And it only costs two mana to put out, so you can sort of hold it until that moment. Nobody sees it coming, and, and all of a sudden you just have this explosion of mana one turn. Yeah. Another really great card, I didn't even know this existed, uh, Devoted Druid. It's a common. So it's one in the green for a zero two. You can tap it to add green to your mana pool. And the synergy is real. The activated ability of put a minus one, minus one counter on Devoted Druid. Untap Devoted Druid. So get a mana and the snake with Devoted Druid every time you untap it. Yeah, if you Pretty play good. that on turn, well, you're probably going to play it on turn three. Mm -hmm. And then turn four, you tap it for a mana. So on turn four, you should have four mana available. Devoted Druid gives you five, but then you're going to want to untap it because you actually want the negative one counter on it. Make a snake, tap it again. Now you've got six mana, possibly seven, because you, or sorry, you can untap it one more time, but it will die, it but will it will die. still add the negative one counter that last time and make you another snake. So you can't make yeah. seven to mana, sorry, but you can make six. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, it's also just a great way to instant speed get a blocker. Yep. Uh, a lot of because it, it doesn't need to be tapped to use this ability. Correct. So you can just do it at any time. Uh, so it's a great sort of get a move too, especially if someone's like, "Haha, you're all tapped out. Let me swing at you." Uh, so that's sort of the highlights of the ramp package. The, a, a lot of overlap you'll notice from the deck building template episode. Devoted Druid has overlap. It creates tokens and it ramps you. Mm -hmm. uh, same with From Beyond and Awakening Zone. So for the card draw package, another card with overlap is Dusk Urchins. Dusk Urchins is two and a black for a 4-3 creature. How do you read that? Oof. An oof. Oof. It's O-U-P-H-E. I mean, viewers, oof. if you can tell us how to read oof. Shivam, help me out on that one. I just like oofy, maybe. <laughs> oofy. Oofy. <laughs> I like how if it's oof, you say it like that. But if oof. it's oofy, you say it like this. Oofy. Oofy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, it's three mana for a 4-3. It says whenever... Dusk Urchins attacks or blocks, you put a negative one, negative one counter on it. So the synergy there is obvious. Uh, you make a snake when you do that. But then it says when Dusk Urchins is put into a graveyard from play, you draw a card for each negative one, negative one counter on it. And so what you can often do is play this on three, attack, make a snake, maybe on the next turn, attack, make a snake. And either they block it at this point or the next time you attack, it's just going to die, but you're going to draw three cards. Mm -hmm. So there's often make two or three snakes, draw two or three cards for three mana. It's, it, it's very efficient and very good. Yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed seeing uh, this card in your deck because it's a very interesting card in black and green, and it's hard to get card draw sometimes in a way that you want it. Slate of Ancestry, four mana for an artifact. 
You pay four and tap it to discard your hand and draw a card for each creature you control. So in a token deck, this can often mean, you know, you play this turn four, turn five, you know, it just sort of sits there for a while. And at a certain point, you're going to be able to draw five cards off it when you have one card in your hand or just no cards in hand too. Yep, yep. Which is a really nice way to refill um, base. It's interesting because a lot of the times you see like, oh, discard your hand, draw up that many cards or draw a new hand of seven. In this case, it's very dependent on the board. So hopefully you're able to make a lot of snakes when you do this. I found there's often times where you've got six plus creatures too, in which case that card is just amazing because it just draws you six cards and you maybe discard one or two, but those pro- cards are probably aren't great because why haven't you cast them yet? Yeah. Um, the, the last one is a card that's probably one of the best cards in the deck, and it's usually one of the best cards in any deck that it's included in. It's Skull Clamp. Uh, it's one mana for an artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus one, minus one. Whenever an equipped creature dies, draw two cards, and it has an equipped of one. So you pay one mana, put it on a snake, draw two cards. We've talked about this card enough times that I don't think you need to know why it's awesome. <laughs> uh, but it's it does sort of synergize with what you're doing. I wouldn't call it an overlap card, though. It's uh, more of an enhancer. It's an enhancer oh, slash... Sorry, enabler. enabler. You just have to play it in yeah. token decks. Yeah. Um, it's just absurd. Okay, so the next uh, category I'm calling the negativity category to go along with our negative counters but i'm very positive that all of these cards are pretty sweet especially this first one people used to make jokes about this card about how bad it was yeah they had to play it in a very old format this card is very good in this deck (laughs) it's Um, absurd but it seems bad so it's four mana for an artifact it's called serrated arrows yeah it comes into play with three arrowhead counters on it at the beginning of your upkeep if there were no arrowhead counters on serrated uh, arrows sacrifice it so without any help you can use it three times. And what you do is you tap it, you remove one of the arrowhead counters, and then you put a negative one counter on target creature. So this is an instant speed way to shrink a creature and make a snake. And it doesn't seem great, and yet it is very good. It really is because it messes up combat. Yep. It's really hard to ever attack at you. You can also do it to someone else when they're swinging at someone else. Uh, when you had serrated arrows on the board, I was like, oh, God, please let that thing just die so I can finally have some breathing room to attack Josh here. Yeah, it's amazing how many cards in people's hands, too, they suddenly won't want to play. Like Oracle of Moldiah, well, at the end of your turn, you put a negative one counter on it, make a snake, and then you're, you know, on your turn, you'd put the second negative one counter, kill it, make another snake. Yeah. And it just kind of feels like it's for free, even though it technically takes an arrowhead counter off of it. We'll, we'll, we'll address that in a second. Yeah, exactly. Um, another card that likes putting counters and stuff on it is Trigon of Corruption. Four mana for an artifact. It enters the battlefield with three charge counters on it. And you can pay black, black, and tap it to put a charge counter on Trigon of Corruption. Or you can pay two generic mana and tap it to remove a charge counter to put a minus one, minus one counter on target creature. So it's a, a bit slower serrated arrows, but it's one that can regrow itself uh, without having to use some other means of doing so. Yeah, it's it's not as good, I think, as serrated arrows, but it's definitely still good enough for the deck. Um, these last two uh, cards in this category, the negativity category, they're both, what make they, all these cards work. Yeah, they both work with your commander, do what you want to do, but they also synergize well with the previous two cards, Serrated Arrows and Trigon of Corruption. So one is Contagion Clasp. Clasp. It's two mana for an artifact. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you put a negative one counter on a target creature. So it pretty much comes down, makes a snake immediately, shrinks another creature, maybe kills it. And then you can pay for and tap it and proliferate. So proliferate is going to let you... Any card, any any card or creature that you've put a negative one counter on already, you can put another one. That'll often kill a lot of things. It'll make more snakes, and then you can also sort of replenish the counters on serrated arrows or trigon of corruption, and sort of you know now if you do that, you can sort of 
use serrated arrows maybe every turn if you're yeah. able to proliferate every turn. It's, it's very strong. I, I found Contagion Clasp was extremely good in the deck, and it's easy to underestimate the fact that it puts a negative one counter on something when you play it. Like, mm-hmm. it feels like, oh, I pay two mana and nothing happens. I have to pay four mana later for something to happen. No, the negative one counters just tend to matter. Yeah, they really do affect the math that everyone's doing. Um, Contagion Engine is the other one. This is a six drop instead of a two drop, but it is a lot more powerful. When it enters the battlefield, you put a one, one, minus one, minus one counter on each creature target player controls. Sometimes this, this can just destroy another token deck. Yep. Uh, and then you can tap four to proliferate and then proliferate again. So if you have a negative negative one counter on a creature and you do this, you just get to minus three, minus three. It's, um, it's really strong. I counted this as one of the board wipes in the deck. Yeah, uh, totally. Because very often, if you can play it and then activate it, you can destroy somebody's board. Yeah. The cool thing about Proliferate is you can choose any number of permanent or players yep. with counters on them. So it's it, it just targets pretty much everything in the game except stuff that's in exile. So if you wanted to even help out a fellow Planeswalker, you could put another counter on them. Um, but the fact that you get to do it twice for the same cost to the cost to do it once on Contagion Clasp, it, it makes this scale really well with the later game. And if you spend a lot of the game just like dropping minus one, minus one counters and stuff and then play this and tap it, oh my gosh, things are just dying. Yeah, it's something to keep in mind as you're playing the deck, which is that it's often correct to spread the love as far as where you put the negative one counters, even to the point of like, ah, I'd like to kill that, but I don't need to. So I'll put it, I'll spread another counter onto something else so it's that a good political play too yeah so that when contagion engine engine or class come out you're able to get maximum value rather than stacking all your negative counters on one thing yeah totally uh so then i called the next um category slither in i'm really glad that you also didn't make any snake puns this time around because <laughs> uh, the professor really got me enough of them <laughs> you had enough of them i've had enough of them well slither in they're the ones that are the snake related right yeah it's true slither in slither dash in but slither in if you guys are harry potter fans so th- this is ways to get hapatra through so what happens is hapatra is a tutu and you can find that uh, you know after turn four or five it's difficult to find a place to attack but you want Hapatra to deal combat damage to somebody because you need to continue your engine going. When she deals combat damage, you put a negative one counter on something and just get that snake. And so I put in a few cards, not a ton, uh, that were designed to get Hapatra to connect with combat damage to the opponent. And I basically viewed these similarly to the negativity category as far as like, this is just another way to put one uh, negative counters on stuff. So the first one is just an old classic, Whisper Silk Cloak. It's three mana for an artifact equipment. It's a, uh, it costs two to equip, and it says, Equip creature can't be blocked and has shroud. Uh, so it's just very simple to put it onto Apatra, and now you can just freely swing once per turn with Apatra. And she's pretty much invulnerable to targeted removal, um, but the only thing is you can't put a counter on herself anymore. Right, true. <laughs> there would have to be other creatures out. But uh, if there's not other creatures out, you don't need Whisper Silk Cloak because yeah, you exactly. can just swing anyway, yeah. Um, two other cards are the swords. We have the Sword of Feast and Famine and the Sword of Fire and Ice. Um, for some reason, I was like, oh, these are so underrated in EDH. But no, these are just uh, Feast and Famine for sure is a, is a very yeah, is a a classic. staple. Yeah. Um, the big thing that the swords do outside of their other game-changing effects is that they give protection from two colors. Uh, each of them do. So Feast and Famine is black and green, black being the f- uh, Famine and green being the Feast. Sword of Fire and Ice gives protection from red and blue, red fire, blue ice, also, Channel Fireball it has a team named Channel Fireball Ice and Fire now, which is funny. It gives protection from the Channel Fireball team, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Right. Dude, that's great. After getting whooped by Melissa, I would love to get protection against pros. <laughs> um, so, Sword of Fire and Ice says whenever a equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, the sword, uh, this artifact deals two damage to target creature or player, and you draw a card. So, 
also card draw. Yeah, uh, so it's overlap, you, right? It's like tons of overlap. Yeah, it gets Hapatra through. It pumps Hapatra a little because they also give plus two, plus two. Yeah, and you're drawing cards from it. So and if it's an X three, you can definitely kill it now. Yep, because you can ding something for two damage and then put the minus one minus one counter on with Hapatra. Yeah, and the idea is you find the target the player that only has blue creatures or only has blue and red creatures or that you can usually find somebody who because of the protection can't block you yeah um sort of feast and famine is this is basically the same for green and black that's the protection it gives but when you deal combat damage to a player they have to discard a card and then you get to untap all your lands so it's ramp pretty good yeah yeah that card is absurd actually sort yeah. of it just lets you have what feels like a second turn after you deal damage exactly i mean you have these crazy turns where you and the turn you play it is often like turn five play it equip it now you basically played it and equipped it for free because you're going to untap all your lands yeah so it didn't cost you all the equip costs and everything uh the next category is capitalize on the counters so this is stuff like i've done all this work now to get my engine going of putting counters on stuff now we have to have some cards that make counters matter. Now, obviously, you're making snakes every time. Mm-hmm. But I also, if I'm going to have a bunch of negative one counters on stuff, I want to be able to sort of uh, capitalize on that. So this, <laughs> this card... so good. This card did so much work. Yeah, this was... I wasn't sure about this card, and uh, it turned out to be really good. Yep. Because, again, when you're goldfishing, it's hard to tell how many negative one counters you're going to have out there, how often that'll matter. And you're thinking like, if I put a negative one counter on something, won't it die already? Turns out, no. (laughs) A lot of things just stick around and have negative one counters on it. So it's called Crumbling Ashes. It's one in a black for an enchantment. It says, at the beginning of your upkeep, destroy target creature with a negative one, negative one counter on it. So this just mercs one of the, now you don't really need to stack a bunch of counters on anything, just depending on when. And especially with like serrated arrows or something, you yeah. can just choose to destroy anything once Crumbling Ashes is out because you you know at the end step before your turn, you look around and you go, okay, it's about to be my turn. I'm going to put a negative one counter on that and then Crumbling Ashes on my upkeep will trigger and, and finish it off. Yeah, pretty gross. It just sort of gets there because it would be like, oh gosh, I don't want to play a creature now because I know I have to pass the turn. And you know that it's going to get to your turn. You're going to just instant speed throw a counter on something and then kill it as soon as it gets to your upkeep. So very powerful. It works really well in conjunction with this card. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Blowfly Infestation, one of the disgustingest names I've ever heard for That's a card. That's a disgusting picture, too. Yeah. There's a lot of flies. Drew Tucker drew it. I'm sure he draws other disgusting things. Actually, they're all, they're all just normal cards. Um, so Blowfly oh, Infestation. Drew ashes to Ashes? Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, it says, whenever, it's an enchantment for two and a black, and it says, whenever a creature dies, if it had a minus one, minus one counter on it, put a minus one, minus one counter on target creature. So it just, if you're able to kill something with Hapatra, you get another snake. Yeah. And if you kill that thing with Hapatra, you get another snake. Three mana for an enchantment that is very specific, but in this deck, it's exactly what it's trying to do. So I, I like this card a lot. Yeah, you can get into these chains if you're lucky, especially if you have Contagion Engine and other things where all of a sudden... Oh my gosh. Yeah, the counters are stacking and multiple things are dying with negative one counters on it. And then... Because- each of those is going to trigger blow fight individually. So you'll get... If Apatra is out, you'll get a snake for each single time it happens. Yeah, so if you're able to kill maybe three things at once that have a negative one counter on it, that will trigger, trigger, trigger. Then you put those three counters onto something else that dies trigger again yeah. you've made a bajillion snakes each one of the yeah it's it's it can get crazy that card's really good and in conjunction with this next card <laughs> it's insanity this card i think is probably one of the best cards in the deck it's called necro skitter yeah this was an immediate gotta kill it yeah as soon as it came out it's one black black for in one four creature elemental it has wither 
What wither is, is it means that this creature deals damage in the form of negative one counters. So it's a one four, but if it ever blocked like a three three, that three three would get a negative one counter. Mm-hmm. And so now it'd be a two two and you'd get a snake. But then it says, whenever a creature an opponent controls with a negative counter on it dies, you may return that card to the battlefield under your control. Yeah, this card is very similar to the Eldrazi that brings everything back when you sacrifice it. If that betrays. If that betrays, yeah. but this but one costs, costs three mana. Three mana yeah. yeah, and it's something you're already going to be doing. It's just one of those sneaky plays, too, where it's like, okay, cool, here comes Necroskitter, and then I'm just going to do some Blowfly infestation stuff. I'll Contagion Engine. Contagion Engine, and now I'm stealing your creatures as well as getting them off your battlefield. Well, and that's what making happens. snakes. Yeah, and making snakes at the same time, yeah. So it's a very, it's annoying. <laughs> it Actually, is, it's an immediate kill on the deck, which tells you that it's it's one of the more powerful cards. I would say that playing against this deck, it was annoying. That's a good word for me to put against it because it's just so hard to do anything. You're like, oh, I can't swing at you. I My creatures are going to die, die really fast. Yeah, yeah, and you're going to steal them now. Oh, gosh. Everything I do is going to be sort of nullified by you just putting more counters on it. You can sort of control how big a creature is. I can never swing at anyone else if you want to mess up with that combat. Oof. There's a lot of play with this deck. <laughs> uh the next card is one we just have to mention, and I will mention it in honor of the professor. Uh, this There's a category called Pump My Team, um, and we're going to have the normal stuff, Beastmaster, Ascension, Craterhoof, Behemoth. We talk about those a lot, so I wasn't going to bring, bring them up. But this one is Sashiro, Shiro. the Anointed. Sashiro, Sashiro, the Anointed. We're speaking parcel tongue. That's how you say it. You go, It's four green green for a legendary creature, a snake monk. It's a three four. It says other snakes you control get plus two, plus two. Cool. And then whenever a snake you control deals combat damage to a player, you may draw a card. Overlap. Yeah, tons of overlap. So hard to block. And you're more than willing to throw away some 1-1 snakes because you're going to make more next turn. And they're three threes now. Yeah. People don't want to block them. They draw cards when they don't. It's just... They're huge. Three threes. If you have like four three threes swinging at you, that's a lot of damage. And you draw cards off it. It's just very, again, annoying. (laughs) The next category I called the Green Tutor Toolbox. So I put a little package in here that is basically the idea, there's no uh, infinite combos or anything like that in the deck, but the idea that green is very good at finding creatures when it needs to, at tutoring for creatures, and tutoring them specifically onto the battlefield. So I wanted to be able to take advantage of that to find certain creatures when you really need to. Just some Mm -hmm. of the really big effects. So Crater Hoof is one. That's if in the event that I have enough tokens and I want to be able to just pump, win the pump game. my whole team and it's time to win, then I want to be able to go find that card. Um, the other, t- I'm going to talk about the creatures that you would find, and then we can talk about the tutors that find them. The other two are Terastodon. That is a creature that comes into play and basically beast withins three things, so blows up three non-creatures, and then they get three three elephant tokens for that. And Soul of New Phyrexia, which has the ability to make everything uh, indestructible for you. So... You can see the situations, right? Crater Hoof, I'll bring that in when I need to attack and win. Mm-hmm. Terracidon, I'll bring that in when either somebody's got like doubling season and they're about to go off, or there's like a bunch of the bane of all tokens decks, like propagandas and stuff. Right. You know, glacial chasms, so I can go find that. And then Soul of New Phyrexia to save me when somebody's going to board wipe me. Uh, when maybe I could win next turn or something. And so there's three cards. Oh, that's a good one, too. Yeah, you also had Shieldred on here, Whispering One, and this is just a beater that can house a Voltron deck, uh, or it can be like, hey, I really need to get Sashiro back next turn to win. 
Um, just a very powerful card. So they're all sort of like six, seven, eight drops that you want to be able to play off of these cards. So two of these only get green creatures. So, you know, the uh, Terrastodon, the Crater Hoof, there's a couple other cards there that you would go get. And the Even third. Even getting Shishiro is, is yes, legitimate. I'd say, with... I'd say totally legit to draw cards and bash. You might be able to kill somebody with Shishiro and yeah. draw cards. Um, so the two that only get green creatures are Natural Order and Green Sun Zenith. Natural Order is the more interesting of the two. I'll read it right now. It's two green green for a sorcery. As an additional cost to cast Natural Order, you sacrifice a green creature. Now remember, the snakes are green. Um, then you search your library for a green creature card, put it onto the battlefield, and then shuffle. So you can potentially do crazy stuff like get Crater Hoof out on turn like five or six when if you've got enough snakes at that point by just sacking one of your snakes and just swing for a ton of damage super early. Yeah. Um, it's something the deck's capable of. Not, It's not likely. Green Sun Zenith is one uh, is green and X, and you search your library for a green creature card with converted mana cost X or less and then put it onto the battlefield, and then you shuffle Green Sun Zenith into your library. So, you know, it's basically like... When you draw it, it's any of the green creatures in your deck plus one green mana, basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this last card may be the best tutor in the deck outside of Natural Order because it is Court of Calling, and it has Convoke. So it's X, green, 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 and it's an instant, and your creatures can help cast this spell. So each creature you tap while casting the spell pays for one a generic mana or one mana of that creature's color. So because it's green, 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 you can, if you tap your snakes, it can tap for a green mana. This sort of acts like a Cryptolith, right, whenever you're casting it. Um, it's very powerful. You can essentially tap everything end step if you want to get a creature out like Terracidon, or you can even cheat this out for a pretty decent price with your mana and your creatures to get a Crater Hoof out. Um, but it's, it's search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost X or less and put it onto the battlefield. Yeah, so very useful. Again, I wanted to be able to get Soul of New Phyrexia at instant speed. Yeah. So that could happen where you t if you have enough mana... Well, you, you tap your whole team. You tap your team, get the soul out, and then activate the soul of... Some to give yourself indestructible and save yourself from a board wipe. So that was a play that I wanted to have available to me because, well, token decks are very scared of board wipes. Yeah. And when I was building it, I was very scared of board wipes. <laughs> um, Makes sense. Yeah. Even though you still got hit by them a bunch, you're like, whatever. People kept playing these board wipes that don't even have to do with destroying stuff, too. So that, yeah. was, that was an issue. That was an issue. All right, so that's sort of the main plan of the deck. Uh, I think you can see it's pretty easy, and, and it plays out slightly differently than most token decks, whereas you're sort of controlling the other creatures on the board more than a token deck normally does by mm -hmm. sort of pinging them down and getting rid of them, and then all of a sudden you do the normal thing, which is Crater Hoof, Beastmaster Ascension, Sashiro, something like that that makes your guys huge, and then you swing for the win. Yeah. Uh, now I'd like to talk about what I called the cool stuff. So these are sort of the cuter cards that I think are, are, are really good in the deck. Um, that one I didn't get to play in Game Nights, but I think it's pretty awesome. It's a legendary creature. It could have been your commander. <laughs> it's Vati Il Dal, uh, a human warrior legendary creature, two, a black and a green for a 3-3. Three, three. And basically you can tap this to turn a target creature's power or toughness until one, uh, to one until end of turn. So you can basically say, like, you're an X1 now, or you're a 1X. You probably want to choose X1. Probably, because it'll have that negative one counter on it. So it's a way to sort of put one negative one counter on something and then kill it. With Vati. Yeah, Vati is great. He's just like, wow, just smacks yep. him in the face and they go, bah, I'm dead now. But also has a lot of utility where if somebody's swinging at you with something big, you can just make it uh, power one and mm -hmm. just make it so that it's just like, eh, you can ignore it now. So, so is it anyone, actually? Yeah. Again, another reason why this deck is so annoying is it affects the whole board whenever you want to. The political game with this deck actually was really interesting, I think. Yeah, it has the ability to affect things very often and, and get real interactive with people's decks. Um, this next one uh, is called Wickerbow Elder. It's three and a green for a 4-4 Treefolk Shaman. 
Wicker Bolt Elder comes in uh, with a negative one counter. So as soon as you play it, make a snake. Already good. Then you can pay green and remove that negative one counter to destroy target artifact or enchantment. Whoa. See, the thing about this is... For one green. Now you can use your serrated arrows or Hapatra when it de deals combat to somebody to put a negative one counter back on Wicker Bolt Elder. Yeah. And destroy another enchantment or artifact. Or maybe you Contagion Engine and proliferate. And now all of a sudden you can just start shooting down artifacts and enchantments. Yeah, which is really powerful. Because it's this... only one green to do it. Yeah, and this deck doesn't have like an Aura Shards or something that would do the same effect. Uh, so Worker Bow Elder is a great way to deal with enchantments in black as well. Yep. Uh, because, I mean, green obviously can, but this both is synergizing with the deck and is very cheap. Yeah, this when when I played it in in game nights, it was immediate like uh, oh crap! Like every every single person was like looking at their board, being like, "I have a ton of artifacts. I, this that thing sucks." Everyone was doing that. <laughs> Almost everyone. I don't remember. Almost I remember everyone. looking at my hand and being like, uh, "I'll eventually play one of these artifacts." And and was... <laughs> the last card uh, that I'll talk about here is maybe the cutest card in the deck, but I actually do think it's very good and. It sort of came from me thinking about, like, in my pinger deck, what do I want to do? I want to give stuff death, death touch. Mm -hmm. So I've got all these death touch creatures laying around. Well, I want to make them pingers. Go ahead. Viridian Longbow turns it into a pinger instead of adding death touch to a pinger. It's a one-drop artifact equipment. Equipped creature has tap this creature. This creature deals one damage to target creature or player. Now, it's equip cost is three, so it's one to put down. Not it's a bad. little spendy. Yeah, you, you, you can play it early, and then you slide it onto one of your snakes, and now your snake can just murk anything. The great thing about this, though, is later in the game when you have a lot of mana and a lot of snakes laying around, you can often go play it, equip to a snake, tap snake, kill that thing. Now, equip it to yeah. a different snake, tap a snake, kill thing. Three mana kill a creature is yeah. pretty good. And sometimes, you know, I think in game nights, I ended up doing it like two or three times in one turn to kill three things just moving the equipment to different snakes each time yeah um i don't think the card's cute at all the card's awesome it's cutely awesome it's acutely awesome acutely awesome nice <laughs> now there are some cards in Amonkhet that you were not able to add to your deck because we did not know any of them at the point of filming the episode so we weren't able to use them but boy it turns out that minus one minus one counters is sort of a theme of Amonkhet we should say too at this point uh, that we're recording the full Amonkhet has still not been spoiled correct so there may be some other cards that come along that we would still add but we're going to talk about two that we know about that um I think should probably find a home in the deck. This has to be yeah. in the deck. This card is this card is why Hapatra is has the text specifically the way it is on her card. Yeah. <laughs> this this card is 100% has to go in. Um go ahead. Nest of Scarabs, two in the black for an enchantment. Whenever you put one or more minus one minus one counters on a creature, create that many 1/1 one, one black insect creature tokens. So all of a sudden, instead of being like, well, you put five minus one minus one counters on one creature, you only get one snake. Now you get one snake and five one one black insect creature tokens. Wow, that's a lot of cards. It's crazy. It's a lot of tokens. It makes like Black Sun Zenith like way better. It makes freaking, uh, oh my gosh, it makes so many cards great. Yeah. It makes Cryptolith right go out of control. Contagion Engine is crazy. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's just very, very good. That deck, that card 100% should be in the deck. And then um, another one is a card called Channeler Initiate. This might be even better than the other one. It's like Devoted Druid. Um, it's quite it's quite similar. Yeah. So it's it's one in a green for a 3-4, but when it enters the battlefield, 
you put three negative counters on it. So on a creature you control, it doesn't even need to be this guy. Yeah, on a creature you control. So it this comes lady. into play, and if you put the counters on this creature, it's an O one uh, because it's got three negative counters on it. But you do make a snake when you do that. But then you can tap the channeler initiate, remove a negative counter from it, and then add one mana of any color to your mana pool. So it's a mana dork until it has no counters on it, and then mm-hmm. it's just a three four that you paid two mana for. I'm going to make a bold prediction right now. Buy this card on cardkingdom.com slash game nights right now because I expect this to be a big player in standard. Yeah. It's, it's just got incredible mid-range potential. After you tap it for mana and pump out stuff, it becomes a 3-4. <laughs> that you made two mana for, so you're just so up on tempo. And because it gave you mana, you're even more up on tempo. Yeah, it seems great. I can't wait to play it in limited. In fact, I hope I open it in the pre-pre-release yeah. this weekend. I hope I do too. Um, this one is interesting. I, it, you didn't put it on the list, but I think it could make it if you, depending on what you're doing with your deck because mm-hmm. you do have the one that makes you discard your hand. It's the Archfiend of Ifnir. Three black black. It's a creature demon flying 5-4. Whenever you cycle or discard another card, put a minus one, minus one counter on each creature your opponents control. Your opponents. Yeah, that's that's a an EDH card right there. And this also has cycling two on it, which you can discard a card to draw a card. There are, you know, a bunch of basic land types. There's basic, like the mountain. Yeah, cycle lands. The cycle lands as well. Or there's the bicycle lands now. Yeah, the bicycle lands. I don't know about that name still. I like it. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's black. It's There is discard happening. So there could be a deck form that maybe you tilts it a little more towards the Archfiend. But yeah, this, I didn't put it on because the build I have now doesn't have doesn't a have lot of much. ways to discard its stuff or cycle yeah. things. But I could see putting that as a sub thing in the deck so you can play that card. Also, if it existed, I may have played it because of your deck. Right. Because I knew Neheb was in the meta we were going to be playing in. Um, yeah, that would have been nuts. Every time I made you discard, you'd freaking put a minus put one, minus one, one on everything. everything yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. But that card didn't exist yet. We didn't know about it. Um, Not yet. We only nope. knew about the four legends that we got. Yeah. So that is your deck. Boy, it did a lot of work. I mean, I really... You guys should watch the episode. It is a lot of fun there was a lot of board wipes happening it it's funny because everyone was talking about how game nights five was like this is like a pure commander game this is what it's all about and then game night six i think in a lot of ways is also like a pure commander game because it we got board wiped like five times the entire way through <laughs> I, I i was sure I, after the first one that i wasn't gonna and then the deck really surprised me and it was able to rebuild fairly fast and i was like oh yeah oh we might not be in such a bad shape you here. were able to find a couple of card draw spells that yeah. really helped you out yeah, there was a point. I think I got I top deck skull clamp at one point, which yeah, made a that huge kind difference. Of ended, like, yeah, and yeah. no one was able to take it out. It's yeah. funny because skull clamp is one of those artifacts that just stays around sometimes. Which if is if it nuts. stays around, you got a good chance of winning that game. Anyway, definitely check out that episode. It was great fun to play with Mel and Cassius both. Uh, it's a super fun episode. Yeah. Um, oh, something else that's very cool, and you should check out is cardkingdom.com slash command zone. If you use that affiliate link again you will be supporting not only the Command Zone, but also Game Nights and making sure that those shows continue to happen. You should probably go find uh, Hapatra. It's a pretty sweet sweet deck. I would pre-order that card for sure. You know, now that Winding Constrictor is also in standard and so is Hapatra, I'm wondering if there is a deck that plays both of them. Yeah, and both black-green. The, th- the reason I didn't put Winding Constrictor into my deck is because I, I wasn't sure how likely I would want to put the counters on my own stuff, and right. Winding Constrictor doesn't really work when you're putting the counters on their stuff. Um, but it's possible that that build is correct because the Winding Constrictor will trigger, and so when you put the counter on, you actually put it on again, right, so that you get two snakes, or does it re- is it a replacement effect? That's... 
Let's read Winding Constrictor I think for everyone. I think it's like if hardened If one scales. or more counters would be placed on an artifact or creature you uh, control, that many plus one of each of those kinds of counters are placed so on them instead. It's, so it's a replacement effect. So I don't actually think it's going to be great. Uh, it might be good in standard because... Because with, like, Nest of Scarabs and stuff, it might be better. I'm not sure. Yeah. It, it could be a very interesting, like, <clears throat> do-this-to-yourself kind of deck. Um, but we'll see. There are a bunch of cards that care about having negative one counters on your own stuff. Whereas, when I was building this deck and Amonkhet didn't really exist yet, mm -hmm. there's not that many cards outside of Amonkhet that care as much about your own stuff having negative one counters. Like, Wickerbow Elder is one of the few. <laughs> yeah. That's, that are good cards. I think there's some cards that this do This is it. also why I don't play standard. I have no idea what I'm talking about, so. <laughs> um, no, I think you're right about the other card, the Mana Dork. Well, there's also Plague Belcher. We're turning this into a pseudo Amonkhet review We're going to do the set review next week. Uh, again, we're recording early because I'm going to the pre-pre-release, so we're, we don't know the whole set Oh, by yet. the way, how was the pre-pre-release? I'm pretty sure it was awesome and I won it. I don't know. Actually, uh, that's very unlikely because I've been barely able to look at this, this, <laughs> the spoilers at all because I've been working on Game Nights Episode 6, which at the time we're recording this is not actually done. Yeah. We're just projecting we're that it will on. be. Yeah, so we're just making it so I can lose even more sleep. Hey, you're going to be okay. I'm good for it. I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm not that old yet. I mean, I really hope that you did well at the pre-pre-release. I believe it's formatted in a way now that everyone is, is set to play two rounds. Uh, they call it the Jimmy Rule uh, because <laughs> the two times I went, I got knocked out in the first round. And nobody um, got to see you play as much. Well, you did go twice, so... I did get to go twice, kind of right? So it kind point. of evens out, yeah. But the second time I lost was one of the most brutal, yeah. brutal beatings I've ever received in Limited. Thank goodness it was on camera. I hope I handled it well, because I may have come off a little salty at the time, but I was trying to be like, be good, be good. Everything's going to be fine. You handled it good. <laughs> you'd think after game nights and stuff, you'd be... Actually, that was before we really started doing game nights yeah. much. Yeah. Well, in the true Canadian fashion, Kathleen still apologizes to me about it today. <laughs> and like Last time I was up there, she was like, you know, I'm really sorry, but I was like, it's so fine. It's like beyond okay. Don't even worry about That's it. That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, yeah feels bad man we should say that if you haven't checked out the pre-pre-release because it will have happened by now you can definitely find the videos uh, on the loading ready run uh youtube page and you should you should check them out i mean it's not going to be the same as rooting for me live but i'll still take it you should definitely check it out you can rewatch the vods and this way you can also skip through if you're you know like you're like okay this match looks like it's over. just find the matches that i'm playing yeah pretty much uh and then skip over them because <laughs> we all know how interesting that's gonna be um so to the listeners, please let us know what legendary card from Amonkhet are you most excited to build around? I really want to know what people think of the gods in the set. Um, they're very different than what we're used to with the Theros gods. They're not that good. They're not as good. Don't say that good. Come on now. They're not that good. Okay, they're not that good. But I mean, for Commander. At the I, same I don't think they're that good for they, they all have kind of interesting abilities. They um, look cool. They do look cool. I believe Kefnet is my favorite right now. Um, I think the, the blue one. The the, uh, the just green because the this, green one literally like build just around. got spoiled, and I think it's it's okay because it it can it it seems easiest to activate. Yeah, at the very least, they all look really cool. All right, small gripe though. Why don't they have a tribal type? Like it would be so easy for that to be a a jackal. That's a snake. That's a bird. That's a whatever. And just if, to just to give people a tribe that they can use them for. If you look back at the Theros gods, they did not as well. But they don't they don't have to be the exact same. They were enchantment creatures. These aren't. It's true. They're already different. Well, they're legendary creature gods. So maybe gods don't have tribes. Who knows? But they have. They have the I masks. expect it to be revealed in the story, the magic story, why they do not. I don't know. 
<laughs> I just, listen, I'm excited about the set. It looks cool. There's a lot of cool cards. Uh, we'll talk about As Foretold, I'm sure, because it's this sort of paradox engine panhormonic We're going to talk about Vizier of the Menagerie, man. That card yeah, is awesome. That card is sweet. There's and so many good cards in this yeah. set, by the way. I'm very excited to Stay do this Stay tuned. Review. Next episode, we'll keep you on the edge of your seats wondering what we think about all these cards like you care that much. Anyway, let's go to the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic. I have something cool. Yeah? There's a new podcast, and it's by the people who make This American Life and Serial. So um, it's called... What kind of cereal It's make? called S-Town, which stands for the S, the uh, the obscenity that starts with an S for all you uh-huh. adults out there. S-Town. And it's a very interesting show, and I wasn't sure what to make of it the first episode, maybe episode and a half. And then it really sort of sucked me in. And I would just highly recommend it to people. There's only, I think, six or seven episodes. They're not super long. And obviously, if you like podcasts, which you're, you're listening to one, you probably will like this. And it's along the lines of This American Life and Serial. So if you've heard of those two things, uh, it's sort of similar in that way. It's yeah. I don't want to tease it too much because it gets hard without spoiling anything. But it's sort of about a small town in Alabama. And this reporter goes out there to meet with a guy that's contacted him. Um, and then some crazy stuff starts to happen and it gets very interesting in a way that you don't expect. Yeah, I, I highly recommend it. Don't even look at the Wikipedia. You'll spoil it. Just uh, check it out. It's very, <laughs> very interesting. And I love this sort of aspect of this American life, which is it always makes me feel like, wow, this this planet is really diverse and there's so much stuff happening and there's so many crazy stories and crazy experiences going around. And S-Town seems like it's a good way to uh, to check that out. Something else that's good to check out is our sister podcast, The Masters of Modern. Alex Kessler, Ben Bateman, they talk about the modern format and all things competitive magic. They um, also have a logo on Lifelinker what? that you can unlock. I believe they're giving it away through their Patreon, but yeah. you can... you can. Uh, Seems to be the go-to right now. Yeah, I think most people are doing that. Not everybody, though, but you can tweet at Alex and Ben. They're at the MMcast and ask them how to unlock their logo. And also, you know, go to collected.company check out their podcast because their show is very good. And make sure you download Lifelinker. It is on Android and iOS stores. We are taking all of your feedback into consideration. We're going to try and do updates as much as we can. We can only work the developer that we have uh, so much. By the way, we should quickly mention a big shout out to Danny Vink, who is our app developer. Great guy. He's incredible. He also designed Collected.Company, and he made the whole API system and the entire code redemption system. So he is, lights out, one of the coolest dudes I know. You can find him on Twitter, at VinkDanny. Also, a shout-out to Josh Kim, who helped uh, do a little playtesting of the app when it was in its first phases of creation. Josh Kim of Game Night's fame, one, yeah. of, our, one of our Infect players that everyone loves. Yeah, which is funny because he's not an Infect player. He's not, player. but he played in that one episode and just destroyed, so, you know. Destroyed you. Destroyed me, destroyed yeah. you. Too. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. We all died to infect. <laughs> he's, despite all that, he's a very nice guy. Yeah, incredibly nice. Uh, the editor for the show is Terry Robertson, so make sure you go and check the video versions of the podcast out, as well as the episodes of Game Nights and everything else. You can go to youtube.com slash the Command Zone podcast for all of that. And special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer, who does the living card animations that start and end each show. Again, you can find this at youtube.com slash the Command Zone podcast. Sweet. All right, everybody. Guess where we're going? We're going back. Oh, to the future. We almost got there. Let's just not go back to the Midwest and Cowboy Land, please. 
Yeah, we'll go back to the future. We're in the past now. Let's not do that. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs>